Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors and we're glad that you are with us. We're in the last session of our series and initiative called Rooted. And the theme of this week is why is the church important? Now I see the irony of this of saying we're going to talk about why the church is important, but we're not even gathering in person. In fact, if you were to look around this room that I'm in, we're in my living room. But it's fitting. When I think about when COVID first started, we were quick and we had to move into this living room. We recorded for many weeks and watched God move powerfully. And being in here, if you were to look around and how hillbilly our setup is, we're reminded that the power is not in the perfection or even in the gathering. The power is in people who are surrendered to God. That that the power of the church is represented not only when it's in person, which is part, but also when the church is scattered. And so through this series, as we conclude it, even in this Sunday, we're reminded that the church is powerful within the walls and outside of the walls. Now, I don't know if you know it, but collective church, the word collective, it means a group of individuals united around a common purpose. That tells us that we're individualistic and individuals. That there's things that we would do on our own, and yet, as collective, we're united around a common purpose. And for us, that purpose is we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus. Everything that we do centers on Jesus. Jesus is at the center. We are a Jesus church. And there's a passage that I want to look at from Colossians where the Apostle Paul is speaking to a church that he had started and he's trying to recenter them back on Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. He wrote this book, Colossians. Apostle Paul is a.k.a. Paul, a.k.a. Saul. And he wrote to these local churches to help them to, to rediscover or to encourage them or to go back to where they needed to be. And this passage as it's looking at the church and reorienting them and what the design of the church is, I think when we're looking at why the church is important, it's incredibly significant for us 2,000 plus years later. And so I want to read from Colossians. Colossians 3, verse 10 to 17. It says this, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, 
clothe yourselves in love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments where we are, while we're sitting at home, while we're listening on afterwards, or we're sitting at our kitchen table or on the couch, God, I pray that you would speak to us. You would remind us that you are close, that you would, you would, your whisper would crowd out all the noise, and we would hear you more clearly. God, we want to meet with you. May it not just be my words, but your words. God, we invite you. Speak. We're listening. God, I need you. We need you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Now let's work through that passage that I just read bit by bit. If you look at verse 10, it says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So the truth is that the invitation to follow Jesus is the invitation to a new creation, being a new creation. It's to surrender your old life and say, I'm dying to that old life. I want a new life. Jesus offers us something new. We become new creations. And this passage even says, and be renewed. Put on your new nature and be renewed. Being renewed means to be made new. And it says, be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Now, I want you to notice something that's important about this passage. It doesn't say know about your creator. It says know your creator. There's this intimate understanding and knowledge, knowing, being known by our creator. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just about knowing our creator. It's also about becoming like him. Now, I want to just point out this is not us going, I'm going to become a god. This is us reflecting our creator. When we're God's kids and we're part of his family, we need to look like we're part of the family. Over time, we become more and more like Jesus as we surrender our lives. And so we know our creator and we become like him as his kids. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. That line, Christ is all that matters. I said earlier that we exist and make it all about people seeing Jesus. That's the center of everything that we do. And yet, there's all these other categories. I mean, Paul laid out a few Let's be honest, we're probably not calling people a barbaric or uncivilized as a category of identity, but we have all sorts of our own. I mean, maybe you're sitting beside your spouse and you're going, barbaric, that is you. But the truth is, that's not who we are. What Paul is reminding us is that all the things that we're prone to make our identity is not our identity. That all the other things that we look at and go, this is who I am 
that that's all surrenders to the reality that the chief of that center of that is I belong to Jesus. All the other categories and identity that we want to put on or that maybe the people around us or the culture around us goes, that's who you are. As Christians, we reject that as going the center most thing is Jesus and who he says that we are. That's the thing that, that becomes that everything else falls under. And the truth is, in the context of community, we can help each other with that. Because there's moments that we look at our friends or our spouse or the people that are around us and we go, hey, um, you're identifying yourself by all sorts of other things and it doesn't seem like it's Jesus. And we're able to, to call some of that out and encourage and to go, hey, I, I get it. I get the tendency to look for my identity in other things, but let's refocus and go back to Jesus at the very center. Now that reality, let's be honest, should confront every single one of us. Because every single one of us has things that we use to identify us. We go, yeah, I'm a Jesus follower, if we are. But also, I'm this, and I'm about my bank account, and I'm about how much I have, and how many people validate me, all these other things. And what we need to do is go back to the center and go, it's Jesus above everything. And there's so much beauty in this as the church for us to be able to lovingly encourage people as we identify the lies that we believe and confront those lies with truth. We all have areas where we struggle that it's Jesus plus other things. And Paul is reminding us that it's always only Jesus, that that's the center of what it looks like, that our lives should be surrendered and wholly devoted to Jesus. And verse 12 says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. For thousands of years, God's chosen people were the Israelites, and then Jesus came and he broke the doors wide open and he went, it's not just for the chosen group of Israelites that this message is for everyone. But Paul's speaking to the idea that this message is for everyone also should be reflected in the fact that we need to be clothed with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, even as I was reading that and I was looking at uh, commentaries, they were talking about the idea that when we're clothed in something, you can't hide what you're wearing. Like there's this sense that people can see it visibly on you. So what we see here is that we should see visibly on Christians that we are tenderhearted with mercy, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. And the question for us becomes, do I look like that? Is that what's reflective? Do people see these things on us? Do, we, do they see that we're clothed in that? Do we as Christians look more like Jesus than we do the world around us. The truth is we're supposed to look different. We're supposed to stand out. Paul emphasizes how much more so that's true in the next verse. He says this, and this is a big one for us, certainly in 2021. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This passage speaks to the beauty of the local church and also the mess of it. Make allowances for each other's faults 
Okay, Paul, even 2,000 years ago, understood. We all have faults. You don't have to make allowance for something that doesn't exist. We all have faults. All of us have faults. None of us are perfect. And the beauty of community is we see each other's faults, which is why some people avoid it, because they're like, I don't want people to see my faults. Either I want to pretend like everything's good, I want to look like I look on Instagram. I don't want people to see my garbage. I don't want them to see my flaws and my failures and my faults. Other people, the struggle is, if they saw me fully, would they even love me? And so you can see how it's easy for us to resist real connection. The thing that we're actually craving because we're afraid of how we might be perceived. And Paul's saying, listen, This whole idea, you're going to have faults and they're going to be on display. The beauty of community is people see, you'll see my faults. You'll see all, we see each other for who we are. We're a church family where we're around each other in our good days and our bad days. You have times that you're hangry, times that you're frustrated, and you don't respond the way that you wouldn't, you would think you should respond. We see each other. And so what are we invited to do as the church community? Make allowance for people's faults. Recognize that none of us are perfect. Now, that doesn't mean that we just write stuff off and we go, it's fine. It's no big deal. If there's legitimate things that are happening, we don't want to just brush them under the rug and go, yeah, we'll just move on. We make allowances. We want to actually work through that stuff. We want to be willing to go, okay, we see each other's faults. And then can we actually seek healing and hope in the midst of that? What does it look like for us to have a posture of growth? We want to always be growing. As Christians, we want to always be looking for areas that you go, I can become more and more like Jesus. But let's be honest. On that journey between where we are and where we will be, we are going to offend and be offended along the way because we are going to be imperfect as we try our best to follow Jesus. And we're going to be around other imperfect people as they try their best or struggle And so Paul's invitation is, as you're doing that, we need to have a posture of not being offended. We need to have a posture of forgiveness. See, the truth is in how we respond to people's faults and failures makes us different than the world. The Christian church and community should look distinct and different because in the midst of challenges, we pursue restoration We pursue reconciliation. We don't want to just leave things in broken states where people are offended and we have this wreckage of people that are bothered. We want to go to whatever degree we can. What does it look like for us to restore this? We don't want to deny issues and pretend like they don't exist. We want to find a way forward. But along the way, as people do things that will inevitably offend us, the invitation is here to forgive but continue to forgive. And that's not just be a doormat as a Christian. I just forgive. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Treat me however. No, we forgive because we know the degree to which we've been forgiven by Jesus. And so our response to people is different where you go, listen, what you did was hurtful and we talk through it and we look for opportunities just like what Jesus would recommend to seek restoration and a better way forward, but also going, I don't need to be responsible for everyone else's stuff. I don't need to try to be the judge, jury, and executioner. I can move forward and go, God, you've got this. You're at work. You're working in that person just like you are in me. God, I want to forgive just like I know the degree. 
that you've forgiven me. And he continues, Paul does in verse 14, where he says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. That little, that little list of things that we need to be clothed by, that it's important that we do that. But above all of those things that are listed, we need to be clothed in love. That's the responsibility for us as Christians. But I, I want to take a moment and want to unpack what Paul means by that love. Because we all have ideas of what love looks like. If you were to think about our lives, I go, even for me, I love Mexican food. I love Mexican food. And I also love my wife. Those are not the same kind of loves all the time. Sometimes I see Mexican food and I love them like I love my wife, but not all the time. Okay, the truth is there are different kinds of love. And sometimes we define love a certain way and we go, uh, is that the way that Jesus meant it? Or is that the way that Paul meant it? And so I want us to look at that and zero in on what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a love that's defined, uh, it's the Greek word agape love. Now, the Greeks had multiple ways of describing love. Agape love is the love that we often see through Jesus and Paul. And so agape love is this. It's self-sacrificing love that God modeled to us first. And then we model to others. Self-sacrificing love. I want you to know that this is not love that is built on, on feelings or emotion or did this person do the right things, say the right things? Were they good to me, romantic to me? Were they caring? Did they use words? Or, this is not a, a two-way. This is a one-sided going, I'm going to love you even when it costs me. I'm going to self-sacrifice so that you would know how much God loves you. This is not love that changes on the seasons. Like, well, I fell out of love with this person. This is love that goes, I'm in no matter what. I'm willing to sacrifice my love. In fact, Jesus talks about it in John 15, 13. He says this, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This kind of love that Paul is describing is not about going around and going, I love you. I love you. And then turning around and going like, that person's the worst. This is a different kind of love. This is the kind of love where our lives actively point people to the ultimate act of love in Jesus's death. This is love that so clearly does not make sense that it points people to Jesus, sacrificing love, love that costs us for our friends and for our enemies, for the people that think like us and the people that don't. This kind of love points people to Jesus, the ultimate act of love when he died on that cross. This kind of love, agape love, is the kind of love that wills the best for every single person. And not just the conceptual view of the best. God has plans and purposes. God has designs that you go, this is God's best. And so the most loving thing that we can do is to will that for everyone. Will that they would experience God's best completely 
in their lives. And the question becomes for us as the church, do we love people enough and are we willing to love people enough to want that for them? Because it costs us and it's hard. And we can say my job is just to love people, but that kind of love, that kind of love will set us apart. Verse 16, it says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So you see this. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. This is the message of Jesus. Let it fill your lives. But in this next section, we see something that is an invitation for us. Teach and counsel each other. Teach and counsel each other. There's this North American thing where we, if we've been in the church for any length of time, we go, this is my personal relationship with Jesus. The problem with that is if we were to look at the Bible and actually read it, we can't find any scriptural reference that divorces the personal experience of following Jesus with the communal experience. We were always meant to follow the way of Jesus to actually do that together. This is why when we go, well, I'm just doing church by myself, that's not a full picture of what that looks like. That we need to actually do it communally, together, that this was always meant to be done in the context of community. That we're meant to follow the way of Jesus together. That we're made, meant to be discipled and be discipling others, learning from each other. That we're invited to teach and counsel each other. Now, let me just challenge you because there's moments in that that you go, that's your job, Tyler. You're supposed to teach and counsel. But the invitation here is it doesn't abdicate your responsibility. There's actually a piece here that you see that it causes us to realize all of us need to be active participants in this, active participants in church community. We get to teach and counsel others. That's our responsibility, side by side. There's a, a book called Leaders Eat Last. And it was talking about, one of the parts was talking about how people receive feedback. And, and in the context of the army, they were looking at how people responded to feedback. And if they were to get feedback from someone that they perceived to be above them, it would be very different than someone getting feedback from someone who is beside them. Now, in the context of church, that's important. Because none of us are above, but we love to rank. But what does it look like when your brother or sister, the person beside you, your friend, is, is looking at you and teaching and counseling you? That you're not just waiting for the person up on the stage or the person with the microphone to teach and counsel you. But side by side, you're going, hey, uh, I think you might be off here. Or, hey, I've been there. Or, can I help you? That's very different. It needs to be side to side for us, not just top down. All of us have a responsibility to teach and counsel others. Notice it's teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. See, when we're doing this, it's not about our wisdom. It's not about the latest fad of vague spirituality. I saw this inspirational quote on Instagram. This is God's wisdom, Jesus's wisdom. So we're counseling people not from hypotheticals, but going, here's what Jesus has done in my life. 
Here's how Jesus is changing me. Here's as I read scripture what he's saying. This is what I sense. We need Jesus's wisdom. And the truth is, if we're going to counsel people with Jesus's wisdom, we better make sure that we are following the way of Jesus. We need more of Jesus all of the time, which is why as we head into the new year, we want to do an extended season where we figure out what does it look like to practice the way of Jesus, being with Jesus, becoming more like Jesus and doing what Jesus says, what he did, practices in our lives. Verse 17, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Everything that we do inside of the walls and outside of the walls, we do as a representative of Jesus. If you would call yourself a Jesus follower, every single thing that we do, we have the opportunity to represent Jesus. Now, let's be honest, that should humble us. There should be part of that that you hear and you're like, oh man, like people are watching. I'm not just doing this on my own, but also the reminder, I'm not doing this on my own. I have a church community with me and God himself who is active with me. Paul is speaking in this scenario to, to what each of us need to look for in the church. He's explaining this new way of relating to each other as new creation in the context of new community. He's speaking to the church in Colossians and he's speaking to us and reminding ourselves, focusing our eyes back on what the intention of us as Christians gathering in church needs to be. We are invited into becoming a new creation in the context of a new community. Here's the reality. You can't be part of a, a church community, a group of people who are truly following the way of Jesus and remain the same. Can't. Either you'll, you'll lean in and go, I want more. Or you'll find it difficult and go, I can't pay the price. There's no real neutrality there. That when you're part of a community that's trying their best to follow Jesus, it changes you. It will inevitably confront areas in your life that you go, that needs work. That needs to be surrendered to Jesus. That's the beauty of it. And we have the invitation always as we're doing that. Do I lean in or lean, lean out? But even when you look at this passage as Paul describes what the church should look like, I recognize that there's things about that that you go, it doesn't always look like that. There are moments in this that I think are aspirational where you go, if we could be more like that, if everything that we do could be clothed in love, if we could be kind-hearted with mercy, if we could not be offended and forgive one another, can you imagine you look at a picture of the church like that and recognize that we as collective are perfect and the church as a whole isn't perfect? But what do you do? I have a, a really good friend who is talking to a pastor that I know who is expressing some of this, going like, I just want to be part of a church that's passionate. And I, I just want to be part of a church kind of like Paul is describing. And this pastor who I think struggled with bitterness was like, you know what? You're never going to find what you're looking for. And that breaks my heart because there's this degree of going, I'm just going to settle. You're never going to find that anyway. Why bother? Just settle into a rhythm, show up to church, and leave the church. 
And so we have an invitation, an opportunity. How do we respond when we live in the tension of going, okay, it's not what it could be, but it could be something better. I just want you to know if you're part of collective, it will not be settling. We refuse to settle into a rhythm where we just go, you know what? It's really hard, so we just won't do it. Instead, we look at this and go, can you imagine what that could do in our community? You want to know why the church is important? Because this is what it can represent. That all together, as we follow Jesus, recognizing we are deeply imperfect, we know that we follow someone who is perfect and who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we might ask for or imagine. And so we look at Paul as he describes the church in this section and go, we want more of that. We want to be the kind of community where we teach and counsel each other to, to learn from the wisdom of Jesus. We want to be the kind of community that is clothed in sacrificial love, in love that doesn't waver, in love that's not reserved for friends, but instead also for enemies, in love that is willing to will and wish the very best for every single person, according to what God says. This is the kind of community that we want to build. Let us never be a church that settles. Let us never be a church that just looks at this and goes, it's too hard. Because thousands of years ago, a Jewish man named Jesus gave his life, fully man and fully God, for a church like this. And for many, many years, the church represented this, and millions of people came to faith as a, as a result of it. And in, 2020, 20, or in 2021 and beyond, I don't ever want us to look and go, yeah, the best days were behind us, and instead look and go, God is still at work and up to something, and collective will not be perfect, but we will not settle. We will not settle for a church that just plays church, but instead we want to be the church. See, Jesus has this beautiful vision for the church and for our lives, and we want that. I want that for you, and I want that for us. And I know the tension, because you're looking all around you and you're going, uh, I want to find wholeness. I want to find hope. And sometimes when we're in the church and we're confronted with normal broken people, we go, it can't be here because there's no way that I could find wholeness surrounded by a bunch of broken people. The beauty is you will never be able to find the kind of wholeness outside of the church that you can find within it. Bunch of imperfect people following Jesus together and finding and experiencing something that does not make sense. A bunch of individuals united around a common purpose, following the way of Jesus. Unique, flawed, and called forward by Jesus himself. And so here's the invitation for us. Let's allow Jesus to form us as a church. Let's not let all the other things form us, but instead come back and go, Jesus, form us build us, change us, and build your church. But I want to remind you, why is the church important? Because the church is meant to be filled with a bunch of active participants in that. It was never meant to be a spectator sport where one person went up or a couple people went up and everyone else just watched them. It's about the church being the church. We all get to teach and counsel Others, we all get to clothe ourselves in love. We get to clothe ourselves in kind-hearted mercy and humility and patience. We get to represent 
the wisdom of Jesus to others. We get to, to demonstrate and show the impact of following Jesus to others. Maybe you're watching right now and you've never actually made the decision to follow Jesus. And you're listening and you're going, I don't know what it is, but I'm open and I, I want that. I want more. I, I look at my life and go, this can't be it. I want to let you know that Jesus wants to make a way for you. See, if you're to look at your life, you can recognize that you are not perfect. And the reality is that our imperfection separates us from God. And the one relationship we're desperate for, God on the outside to say, you are enough. I see you and I love you. Let me tell you who you are. We can never work our way to get. But Jesus makes a way on that cross, gives his life for us and restores us back to relationship. Gave his life on the cross, died and then rose again so that we could live. Maybe you need to reread this passage in, in Colossians. Maybe there's something in here you go, I know this is an area I've been struggling with. I know I need to get involved. If nothing else, why is the church important? Because you are an active participant in what God wants to do. And he's using the church and he wants to use you. And so what does it look like? Not to, to look at what's going on and think, oh man, it's so hard. But instead to go, I'm in. I want more. I want to be more and more rooted in this faith that you're calling me to. Next week, we start a new series called Dear Church, where we look at where we're going as a church, what I believe that God is calling us into as we head into the new year. And so I want to invite you to join us in person at 9 and 11 or online at 11 a.m. next Sunday. I want to pray for us as we move on. God, I, I'm grateful in these moments that you are speaking, that you are drawing us close. God, I pray that you would continue to build your church, build us, help us to become more and more like you as we follow you. God, we love you. I pray that people would see that so evidently in us and through us that we would point people to you. God, have your way. We love you. In Jesus' name. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.